0: Perhaps we can start the uh, session with a short meditation. It's easy to Associate meditation with an event, something you have to arrange, something you have to set a, a lot of time aside to do. But a meditation can be a, you have a spare couple of minutes, even. You can even going into a work meeting or before seeing a friend or you can perhaps take five conscious breaths so it doesn't necessarily have to be a formal you know half an hour sitting meditation as there's certainly a place for, for that, but you can also remain flexible as well. So maybe just for a couple of minutes we can settle and ground our bodies and our awareness in the present moment. If it helps you can use your breath as the anchor to anchor your awareness in the present moment by, by witnessing or observing the breath. Sometimes this can be a challenge. I find I get conscious about my breath and it's, it's almost, it's hard to let it flow naturally when you place your awareness on it, it's almost as if you don't know how to breathe naturally, you're consciously breathing in, forcefully and breathing out, so for those who may find this challenging, just Allow the breath to be and if, if there is some effort there, just allow that to be as well. Just, just rest your awareness as best you can on, on the flow of your in-breath and the letting go of your out-breath. Simply noting the in-breath and noting the letting go in the out-breath Notice the, the sensation in the body as it as you become aware of your breathing as the body feel grounded relaxed can you sense any tension? in the body as you watch the breath if so, just send some of the energy there and allow it to relax Notice your breath is shallow, maybe use your diaphragm to breathe, so allow the diaphragm to rise as you breathe in, let it fall as you breathe out. There is no forcing here There is no effort You are just Allowing the breathing to take place And you are accepting The present moment as it is There is no state We are chasing or trying to create just the in-breath and the out-breath So I'm just going to grab the uh, A New Earth. I forgot to get it when I started recording, so apologies for any noise disturbance that may come through. And even though we are not putting all of our awareness on our breathing as we together read A New Earth, but... Can some of your awareness still remain on the breath? Perhaps uh, that's something for you to explore as we, as we continue reading. So we are still on chapter two, and we are reading this uh, section by section. So there are ten chapters in a New Earth, and each chapter has several sections within it and the title of this uh, passage is The Voice in the Head I'm sure something we can uh, (laughs) all relate to very well (laughs) that first glimpse of awareness came to me when I was a first year student at the University of London I would take the tube subway twice a week to go to the university library usually around nine o'clock in the morning toward the end of the rush hour one time a woman in her early thirties sat opposite me I had seen her before a few times on that train one could not help but notice her. Although the train was full, the seats on either side of her were unoccupied, the reason being, no doubt, that she appeared to be quite insane. She looked extremely tense and talked to herself incessantly in a loud and angry voice. She was so absorbed In her thoughts that she was totally unaware it seemed of other people or her surroundings her head was facing downward and slightly to the left as if as if she were addressing someone sitting in the empty seat next to her although I don't remember the precise content Her monologue went something like this, and then she said to me, So I said to her, you are a liar, how dare you accuse me of. When you are the one who has always taken advantage of me, I trusted you and you betrayed my trust. There was the angry tone in her voice of someone who has been wronged. You need to defend her position, lest she become annihilated. As the train approached Tottenham Court Road Station, she stood up and walked toward the door, with still no break in the stream of words coming out of her mouth. That was my stop too, so I got off behind her. At street level, she began to walk toward Belford Square, still engaged in her imaginary dialogue, still angry, accusing and asserting her position. My curiosity aroused. I decided to follow her as long as she was walking in the same general direction I had to go in. Although engrossed in her imaginary dialogue, She seemed to know where she was going. Soon we were within sight of the imposing structure of Senate House, a 1930s high-rise, the university's central administrative building and library. I was shocked. Was it possible that we were going to the same place? Yes, that's where she was heading. Was she a teacher, a student, an office worker, a librarian? Maybe she was some psychologist's research project. I never knew the answer. I walked 20 steps behind her, and by the time I entered the building, which ironically was the location of the headquarters of the Mind Police in the film version of George Orwell's novel, 1984. She had already been swallowed up by one of the elevators. I was somewhat taken aback by what I had just witnessed, a mature first-year student at 25. I saw myself as an intellectual in the making, and I was convinced that all the answers to the dilemmas of human existence could be found through the intellect that is to say, by thinking. I didn't realise yet that thinking without awareness is the main dilemma of human existence. I looked upon the professors as sages who had all the answers and upon the university as the temple of knowledge. How could an insane person like her be part of this? I was still thinking about her when I was in the men's room prior to entering the library as I was washing my hands I thought I hope I don't end up like her the man next to me looked briefly in my direction and I suddenly and I suddenly was shocked when I realized that I hadn't just thought those words but to mumble them out loud. Oh my God, I'm already like her, I thought. Wasn't my mind as incessantly active as hers? There were only minor differences between us. The predominant underlying emotion behind her thinking seemed to be anger. In my case, it was mostly anxiety. She thought out loud. I thought mostly in my head. If she was mad, then everyone was mad, including myself. There were differences in degree only. For a moment, I was able to stand back from my own mind and see it from a deeper perspective, as it were there was a brief shift from thinking to awareness. I was still in the men's room, but alone now, looking at my face in the mirror. At that moment of detachment from my mind, I laughed out loud. It may have sounded insane, but it was the laughter of sanity, the laughter of the big-bellied Buddha, Life isn't as serious as my mind makes it out to be. That's what the laughter seemed to be saying, but it was only a glimpse, very quickly to be forgotten. I would spend the next three years in anxiety and depression, completely identified with my mind. I had to get close to suicide before awareness returned and then it was much more than a glimpse. I became free of compulsive thinking and of the false mind-made eye. The above incident not only gave me a first glimpse of awareness, it also planted the first doubt as to the absolute validity of the human intellect. A few months later, something tragic happened that made my doubt grow. On a Monday morning, we arrived for a lecture to be given by a professor whose mind I admired greatly, only to be told that sadly he had committed suicide sometime during the weekend by shooting himself. I was stunned. He was a highly respected teacher and seemed to have all the answers. However, I could as yet see no alternative to the cultivation of thought. I didn't realise yet that thinking is only a tiny aspect of the consciousness that we are, nor did I know anything about the ego, let alone being able to detect it within myself. And the next section is titled, Content and Structure of the Ego. It's a relatively short section, so I'll read this to end the episode. The egoic mind is completely conditioned by the past. Its conditioning is twofold. It consists, it consists of content and structure. In the case of a child who cries in deep suffering because his toy has been taken away, the toy represents content. It is interchangeable with any other content, any other toy or object. The content you identify with is conditioned by your environment. Your upbringing and surrounding culture, whether the child is rich or poor, whether the toy is a price is a piece of wood shaped like an animal or a sophisticated electronic gadget makes no difference as far as the suffering caused by its loss is concerned. The reason why such acute suffering occurs is concealed in the word my, and it is structural. The unconscious compulsion to enhance one's identity through association with an object is built into the very structure of the egoic mind. One of the most basic mind structures through which the ego comes into existence is identification. The word identification is derived from the Latin word "idem" or "idum," not sure how to pronounce that, meaning same. And "facere" or for sir, which means to make. So when I identify with something, I make it the same. The same as what? the same as I. I endow it with a sense of self and so it becomes part of my identity. One of the most basic levels of identification is with things. My toy later becomes my car, my house, my clothes and so on. I try to find myself in things But never quite make it And end up losing myself in them That is the fate Of the ego So that brings us to the end Of of that section And I won't um, analyse Or talk too much About the Sections we've read or any, th- any sections I come across that are You know, straightforward in the way they are written Perhaps if something jumps out at me Then it's, um, it may be worth going over again So the two sections we've read today Is the voice in the head and content and structure of the ego. So two very powerful pointers to what covers up the awareness. So when we look at the voice in the head, something so natural, something that's almost nurtured as we grow, And a key line that stuck out to me is, um, I'm paraphrasing this here, but thinking without awareness. So again, it's not denying thinking or saying thinking is wrong or or bad or any or it's any negative connotation, but. If, it, if there is no awareness behind the thoughts, if the thoughts don't appear in the space of awareness, conscious awareness, then this is where the space is covered up and suffering appears. Suffering is Don't have created is the right word, but suffering happens And then there was a short paragraph on the content and structure of the ego Again, it's very direct, very simple But at the same time, very complex as well We think about our own egos We think about all of the objects that we are Attached to, or we have an association with, a mental structure with. And it, towards the end, it says, You know, I try to find myself in the things that perhaps are somewhat we could relate to. You know, we try to find ourselves maybe in our qualifications, in our social status, our professional status. Are you know the circle of friends, the objects we have. Again, these are the building blocks, the structure of the ego. And again, it's it's it can be simply understood, but it's it, it's a very complex. There's a complexity behind it as well. so two great powerful areas for us to reflect upon and sometimes or we were reading this now sometimes it may take you know some time for this to soak in and absorb and if you know, for it to embed in our awareness, in our in our minds as well. Sometimes right away you know, there's a spark of you know, of a I'm quoting Oprah here, an aha moment, as Oprah says of understanding. But sometimes it comes up It may even come up, you know, in a situation, and you may come out of the situation realising, oh, that was my ego there, I was, that was, you know, my ego at work, there's a new understanding, a perspective on the ego. Or you may, you know, come out of a a conversation with somebody, you know, realising that, you know, I was constantly thinking in my head as, you know, somebody was talking, or I was, you know, I wasn't present in that moment, I was, you know, incessantly thinking there was an incessant voice in my head, you know the same as, as the woman opposite Eckhart on on the tube hmm. So it's great to of course absorb this and have an understanding, but also also allow space for these pointers as well that you know there will arise in you understanding will also come when the time is is right as well. Yeah, thank you for joining me for today's episode. I wish you well and I will speak to you again very soon. Take care.